check this out. Uh, Joe, you ready for this one? Okay, he's ready so we can go. There was this man, he was wa- uh, wandering out in the field one day, okay? And uh, he's out there thinking about just how wonderful his wife had been uh, and how fortunate uh, he was to have her, right, guys? Right, you two scored points, the rest of you are not catching on. Okay, so the, anyway, so he looked up to the sky, John, and he asked God, he says, God, why did you make my wife so kind-hearted? And the Lord responded back, so you could love her, my son. And the man continued, and he says, uh, and why did you make her so good-looking? And God replied, so you could love her, my son. And the man, he's overwhelmed with gratitude. He continues on. He goes, and why would you make her such a good cook? And God said, so you could love her, my son. And so the man, he's thinking about this for a minute. And all of a sudden, Ruth, he says, now, Lord, (laughs) I don't mean to sound ungrateful or anything, okay? Um, But why would you make her with such a low IQ? (laughs) And God replied, so she could love you, my son. (laughs) And all the ladies said, amen, preacher, preacher. Okay, but here's the point. Uh, believe it or not, there is a point. Uh, sometimes in marriage, discovering uh, why your spouse is made the way they are is kind of a shocking revelation, right? Okay, and folks, if we're honest with each other, I think we can agree that marriage can be full of these kind of surprises. And apparently that's why one guy said this. He said, in the beginning, God created the earth and he rested. And then God created man and he rested. And then God created woman. And since then, neither God nor man has rested. Okay, apparently. But anyway, as we've been seeing in our study, folks, is this the kind of relationship that God had in mind when he created marriage? He's the one who did it. He instituted it in the Garden of Eden. No, it's the absolutely wonderful answer. Absolutely not. Now, we need to acknowledge that Adam and Eve blew it in the Garden of Eden, so they blew it for the chances of having a perfect marriage. But the good news is, Christian, that does not mean we need to resign ourselves to a life of personal pain and silent suffering. It just means it's going to take some time and it's going to take some work why because contrary to the live society marriages are not made in heaven they are made they are built where right here on earth therefore we're going to continue our study a marriage built uh, to last that's right once again we've already seen that first step in building that lasting marriage is give it up for the oz and Michaela show that men and women are different now how many weeks has it been you still don't know okay you you're really you're definitely married okay by now and uh <laughs> but anyway Oh, maybe we'll try it again next week. But men and women are different. I think you guys have discovered that, right, so far? Oz? Say yes. Give it up for Oz. He got the right answer. <laughs> Newlywed there. Uh, men and women are different. The second step was that love is an action. It's not just a feeling. It's an action. It's a verb. The third step was the need for romance. That's right. And the last three times, that's how important it was, at least I think. The fourth step was the need for communication. Break out that string on a can. Do whatever you got. You've got to communicate in your marriage. And what we saw, if we're going to avoid communication breakdown, listen, you've got to give each other some time. Hello. You've got to give each other some clarity. Okay? Sometimes you've got to get creative and say it in a way that they can get it. Makes sense to you, but they may not get it. You got to give each other some ear. Listen up. Don't ignore. Okay. And last time we saw it, you got to give each other some respect. Okay. Stay away from those absolutes. You always, you never. You guys always do that this week or did you never do it? Yeah, you're catching on. Okay. Uh, we got to stay away from mind reading. You just express what's on your mind. Stay away from that degrading behavior. Watch your tone of voice. Watch your body language because 93% of what you communicate we saw last week is just your body language and tone of voice. And if we don't get a handle just on that, my theory is that's probably why 93% of the time we have communication breakdown. Okay, just as simple as that. But that's not all, Joe. I'm still preaching on this, so guess what? Keep going. It's close, John, but there's got to be more. That's right. There's got to be more. You're going to get it next week along with Michaela. The fifth step in building that lasting marriage, I've already baited you for this topic, and that is the need for 
reconciliation, okay? Now, the word reconciliation in the English means to come back together again in love or friendship. To reconcile means to come back together again in love or friendship. And believe it or not, folks, it really is possible no matter how bad it's been. I didn't say it. God did. You just need to do it his way. Open your Bibles, our opening text, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaking here about the importance of reconciling, coming back together again in love and friendship. Matthew chapter 5, once again, Matthew was written by Matthew. Matthew. Oh, hey, you guys are really on the ball today. That was no hesitation there. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 26, man. And this is what Jesus says, the importance of reconciling, okay, with somebody, anybody, certainly our spouse, right? Okay, give you enough time. Let's go ahead and let's read verse Uh, It says there, Jesus 23, he says, Therefore, now, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, there's some ickiness, there's some situation, something that's that's separating you, okay, if you will, uh, what do you do? (laughs) Leave it alone. It'll just blow away all by itself. It's a wonder how it works. When you just fall asleep, you wake up the next day, it's gone. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong Bible, Ruth. Uh, That's not what it says. It says, here's what you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconcile to your brother then you come and offer your gift well why well because there's a danger if you don't and this is what he says in fact you better settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court you better do it while you're still with him on the way or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison in fact i tell you the truth jesus says you're not going to get out until you have paid the last penny okay in other words it's a serious thing Jesus is saying here, folks, listen, you are going to pay a horrible price, okay, if you do not reconcile, listen, not just with your brother, with a person. He says, if you don't do it quickly, right, you've got to reconcile and do it quickly. Now, listen, that's not only true with your brother, how much more so with your spouse, okay? I think it's pretty obvious. And so here's the point. The Bible not only clearly tells us, folks, listen, the need to reconcile The Bible, Jesus speaking, tells us of the dangers of not reconciling, right? You better do it and you better do it quickly because that won't make things better if you delay. It makes things worse. You have to do it. And here's how it works. You see, even when we finally get around to having that healthy communication, we've got all those techniques we talked about for three weeks in a row. Okay, you, you're, you're watching all that stuff. You're giving some ear. You're giving some respect. You're giving clarity. You've got it all down. You're watching your tone of voice, your body language. You've got that down to a science, but you can still blow it if you don't do what the Bible says to do here. You have to reconcile. The whole point of learning how to communicate effectively is to lead to this point, to reconcile. Because at some point you had a problem That's okay, it's gonna happen. We'll see that in a second. You just need to communicate through that problem. But the whole point of communicating through that problem is to lead to this goal, to come back together again then in love and friendship. You're not just blowing hot air with your words. You're not just having a debate proving your point and why you're right and they're wrong. The whole point of learning the art of communication is here. To reconcile. And if you reconcile, it gets rid of that ickiness, that barb, that thorn that's in your heart. That wall that's separating between you and your spouse. Why? Because, listen, a lack of reconciliation leads to a life of isolation. A lack of reconciliation, marriage relationships, any relationship, it will lead to a life 
of isolation. And what happens, folks, guys, whether we see it or not, if you can imagine, what you're doing is this. Without reconciling, you end up creating a wall of separation between each other. And if you can imagine, each time you have a situation that you need to reconcile and you choose not to, you just laid a found, you just, there, it's a brick. And you just popped it right there between you two. And then here comes another one and you refuse to reconcile. Bang, you just put another one there. And then here comes another one and you still don't do it. And next thing you know, you're on your second layer of bricks and the third layer of bricks. And you keep on doing that year after year after year. Next thing you know, you got a wall between you two. Oh, you can't see it. It's invisible, but it's there. You ever seen that? Next thing you know, you become that couple you said you'd never become. And you're out at that fine French restaurant in Denae's. And you've seen them, with all due respect. And they're there, this couple, eating a meal, not even saying a word. Just two people separated by some sort of wall. And the longer this goes on, folks, the higher it becomes. Okay, and the more isolated you become. So therefore, I'd say we need to take a look at some practical ways to avoid this marital isolation. How about you? Hey, good answer. We're going to do it anyway. But I really do appreciate your, your uh, cooperation today. The first practical way to avoid this marital isolation, building this invisible yet real wall, folks, between ourselves, is refuse to give in to false expectations. Huh? This is huge, okay? Because as we all know, when you get married, it's just like that. I mean, ladies, you married Prince Charming, huh? And, and, and guys, we married a princess. And when we got married, after we got married, we moved into this castle and it, everything was great. And it was awesome. We never had trouble. It was all... That's why it's called a fairy tale, okay? But see, that's what the world does to us. Think of that. Somehow when we get married, life will always be great and you'll never have troubles. That's a false expectation. In fact, that's a lie. That's not what the Bible says. I love this passage. Job chapter five, verse seven says this. People, I love this. People are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly up from a fire. Now this is cool. This is a good guy analogy, okay? Man, how many guys realize that when you light a fire, Okay, and that baby's shooting out some sparks, okay, that the sparks in general go up in one direction. They go vertical with the airflow, right? It's a heat thing. It's a, for those of you hooked on science, there's a reason for that, okay? Uh, and, and unless, of course, you're me. Uh, one time, I was back in the, a little detour here. I was in Kansas growing up, and uh, it was like uh, two degrees, like today here in Vegas for some reason. And we heated our house with this uh, wood stove, right? Big giant wood stove, and that's how we heated the whole house, right? And so, so to get the thing going, because we used big giant logs, we, we poured a slow-burning kerosene on it, right? You know, because it wouldn't it slowly catch fire and then eventually take off. You wouldn't have to sit there and chuck it with 100 pounds of paper, right? So I did it one time this morning. So I, I'm dumping in slow-burning kerosene, so I thought. I grabbed the wrong can. It was fast-burning gasoline. So when I stuck my head into that giant wood stove to light it with a match, boom, the flames, the sparks did not go upward. They went out like a jet engine. But I digress. The point with this passage here is not only explains why when you come to my house, even Brandy does the barbecuing. Okay, that's for... <laughs> But this text says that, listen, when it comes to fire, okay, uh, fire not only can cause trouble like it did with me, but it's an analogy that, listen, as surely as a normal fire, unlike mine, that when you light a fire, the sparks go upward, and it happens every single time. You can bank on it. He's saying here in the text, you can bank on it. You're going to have trouble in life. And guess what? That includes your marriage. I don't care how great your relationship is. Sooner or later, you're going to have trouble as surely as sparks fly up from a fire, okay? This is the fact. Now, the reason why we're destined for trouble is because even as Christians, we still have to deal with that stinky old booger of a sin nature. Have you noticed that? 
Okay, which means, guess what? As much as you love each other and made those commitments, you're going to do some stinky old booger things to each other once in a while, right? Now, I'm not condoning it, but sooner or later it's going to happen. So therefore, I don't care how good your marriage is, we're all at some point going to have a need to reconcile, right? That's the whole point, okay? The art of a healthy marriage, listen, is not the avoidance of problems or pain because you can't. That's not reality. That is a fairy tale. But rather, when the problems come, when you cause each other pain, you move quickly, as Jesus said, to reconcile. That's what he says there. Okay? But here lies the problem. Reconcile them with somebody who's deeply hurt us. That's not always easy, is it? We appreciate that God did it for us. But to do that for somebody else, that's not always easy, Okay? And, and, and it's bad enough that we have this natural tendency to not want to reconcile. But again, the world steps in with this lie and makes it worse. Listen, they are pumping out the lie of this fairy tale. They say that as soon as you're having trouble in your marriage, which the Bible says it's going to happen, doesn't mean it's a failure. That's what the world says. The world says as soon as you're having trouble in your marriage, it must be a failure. Because it's supposed to be a fairy tale. And what you need to do, according to the world, is you need to dump that person. You need to go find that perfect person. You know, here's their phrase, soulmate. It, which assumes that you'll always be that beautiful princess and magic, right? That's what it means, right? That's what they say, okay? But contrary to popular belief, folks, there is no such thing as a perfect couple. And as long as you live uh, for, and fall for that lie, you're headed for even more trouble. Like this couple, check this out. Once upon a time, there's this perfect man and this perfect woman. Yeah, it's a fairy tale. Okay, and, and after they had the perfect courtship, uh, courtship, of course, they had a, a perfect wedding. And their life together, of course, was perfect, right? So one snowy, stormy Christmas Eve outside of Vegas, except for maybe this week, uh, this perfect couple was driving their perfect car along a winding road. And when they noticed someone at the side of the road in distress, well, being the perfect couple and all, they decided to stop and help. And lo and behold, bunny, there stood Santa Claus with a bundle of toys. Well, not wanting to disappoint the children on Christmas Eve, the perfect couple uh, loaded Santa Claus and his toys into their vehicle. And soon they were driving along delivering the toys. However, the driving conditions deteriorated and, and the perfect couple and Santa Claus had an accident. And only one of them survived. So the mind-numbing question is, John, who was the sole survivor? The answer... The perfect woman, of course. Why? Because she's the only one who existed in the first place. Everybody knows that there is no such thing as a Santa Claus or a perfect man. Man, you have no idea how hard it was for me to spit that out. Okay? So I'm here to do a little justification on that. If you're like me and you think about this, then logically, if there is no perfect man and there is no Santa Claus, then that means the so-called perfect woman must have been the one who was driving, which explains the reason why there was an accident in the first place. Sorry, guys. That's the best I can come up with. Okay, but I digress. Here's the point. Listen, no matter what side you fall on that riddle, <laughs> we have got to get it through our heads that there is no such, this, that's a joke. And it's a joke thinking that you're going to have a perfect marriage, perfect life, perfect couple, no problems. That's a lie. That part is a joke. It's a myth, okay? And I'm telling you, as simple, as something as simple as realizing that sooner or later, you're going to have troubles in your marriage. It might come sooner. It might come later. Some people have what's called the seven-year itch, and it takes that long. Some people have it right away. So it, it, it's going to happen. 
And something as simple as realizing that is going to be a major breakthrough in your relationship. Because as long as you think the live society that you're always going to have a perfect life and a perfect marriage and no troubles, when the troubles come, you're going to be tempted to do what this society does and that is go dump that person, go seek out that perfect person to have that perfect life. And guess what? You might even fall for that lie. And guess what? You married that other person. Guess what they got? They got a sin nature too. And so guess what? The troubles start all over again. And guess what? you got a sin nature too. And maybe you're part of the troubles in the first, second, third. It doesn't matter. And so hearts are destroyed all along the way in search of a pipe dream called a perfect life with a perfect man and a perfect marriage and a perfect couple and a perfect woman. It's impossible. And because of this lie, this is what I've learned, guys. Listen, people will end a relationship. Pay attention to this. People will end a relationship not because of irreconcilable differences, but because they simply refuse to reconcile their differences. You see that? I mean, I know that's what they put on the paper. But people will end a relationship not so much because of irreconcilable differences, but they simply refuse to reconcile their differences. And as long as you and I fall for society's lie with these false expectations, the more bricks you're going to add to this wall, the more bricks you add to the wall, you're on to the next layer and the next layer and the higher it becomes and you are isolated. Don't do it. You're going to have troubles, okay? It's okay. It doesn't mean it's a failure. Welcome to life. The scripture would say. The second practical way, we talked a little bit about this, is to refuse to delay. Don't delay. That's what Jesus was saying in the opening, right? Quickly, in a timely manner. And that's what he says. And here's how it works. Even if we finally get around in our marriages, admitting there's no such thing as the perfect couple, and that we are sooner or later going to have those troubles, you can still blow it if you delay in doing something about them. Proverbs talks about this kind of attitude in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 10 through 11 says this, a little extra sleep. Oh, just hit that snooze one more time, please. A, a little more slumber. Uh, 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 just a little folding hand. Just let me rest. Let me just sit here for a while. You know, we'll deal with it later. That attitude. Boom. Poverty will pounce on you like a bandit and scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. That's not good. One surefire way, folks, to create poverty, if you will, in your marriage, invite scarcity in your relationship, is to delay in taking action with your problems, okay? And rather than dealing with our problems head on, working towards a solution, we give in to delay. And again, we think just like that. We think that somehow, magically, we can just sleep on it and it goes away. We could just fold our hands together in slumber and magically it disappears. Woo! It doesn't work that way, does it? Not at all. They don't go away by themselves. In fact, the longer you let them go on, guess what? The bigger they get. And the more that they build up, the bigger uh, problems you're going to be heading for. Because here's what we do. When you delay, here's how it works. When you delay in your problems and you allow them, you're not reconciling, you're not moving towards that. You allow your problems to go on. You do a couple different things. This is human nature. And the first thing we do is we bottle them up. Right? You just don't want to delay it, and you don't delay it, and you bottle them up. You literally stuff your problems. Now, I don't know if you've learned this one or not, but stuffing your problems instead of dealing with your problems is a one-way ticket to a life of bitterness. That's where it comes from. Bitterness, okay? It will destroy you personally, and it will destroy your marriage. It will eat you inside and out every single time. But... That's not all. Because we also gave in to delay and we stuffed our problems, then rather than holding them in and becoming bitter, sometimes we go to the other ex in the extreme. We can't take it anymore. So we go from bottling up to bleh, blowing up. And usually if we're a stuffer, instead of dealing with them, 
when we do blow up, it's usually over a little problem that has nothing to do with the real problem, but the other person doesn't know that, so you never get around to the deeper issues, right? All because you refuse to deal with your problems. Here's what you just need to do. Listen, the scripture is clear. Your problems are going to happen. You just need to deal with them one at a time as they happen. That's it. Don't put it on the rug. Don't delay. Just deal with them one at a time as they happen. Why? Because the more that you give them to delay, the more invisible bricks you're adding to that wall. And, and the more that you, well, well, we'll do that later. Here's another brick. No, well, next week. When they call them, here's another brick. Oh, I just, I'm just going to stuff that one. Here's another brick. And the next thing you know, now it's getting over your head. You can't even see each other anymore. Because you're building that wall of isolation. You have to deal with it. The third one to avoid marital isolation is you need to refuse to retaliate. Okay? Refuse to retaliate. Okay? And here's how this works. Even if we get around to admitting that life is going to have troubles... Okay, now we're not delaying in our problems. We know that we've got to take action on this. Don't let this go away. Don't stuff it, okay? Uh, we can still experience isolation if we start to do the old eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we never do that in married couples, do we? Right, apparently you have to talk like that to express this point. I don't know why. But let's move on to the text. Uh, and this is what the scripture says. This is just one passage, by the way. It's all over the Bible. First Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil for what? Oh, you said that? Oh, yeah. I'm gonna... Don't retaliate when people, dare I say even your spouse, I'm not condoning it, but don't retaliate when people say unkind things about you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Well, why do you want to do that? Because that's what God wants you to do. Oh, and by the way, he's going to bless you for it. Anybody want to experience God's blessings? Then do that. When somebody says something rotten to you, bless them back. Right? That's what the scripture says. How much more so than your spouse. Folks, the Bible's very clear that, uh, and by the way, the Bible's not condoning verbal abuse. Of course not. The Bible's not condoning sin. The point is, if we retaliate abuse for abuse, we're just adding more fuel to the fire, right? As long as we do this, it will never go down. And so the scripture gives us the alternative to get the fire to go out. Somebody has to stop throwing logs on the fire. Stop doing eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I say this all the time in marital counseling. Somebody has to be the Christian. Christian, stop. If you keep throwing logs on the fire, it's, it'll never go out. Stop it. Somebody has to start the blessing. Okay, why? Because here's the rule. When we offend, the other person defends, and so begins a vicious cycle that never ends. I'll say that again. When we offend, What's the other person do? They defend. And so begins a vicious cycle that never ends. And folks, it gets ugly real fast. Don't retaliate. Don't try to get revenge. Or you're going to end up like this couple. Check this out. This is, just, just don't do it, okay? I've got a dear friend named Benji and his wife, Connie. They're in the ministry. <laughs> but old Benji and Connie that day, they'd had a little tiff, you know. Had a little tiff, you know, on that Friday. You know, she just didn't think he did enough and wouldn't help out enough. You know how, you know. <laughs> And so they had a banquet that night at church, real formal thing. I mean, really going to be nice. Girls, ladies going to wear the, the formals, and, uh, and the men were going to dress up. And so they had to go. And he's on staff. He had to be there, you know, in the ministry. You got to go. And uh, they're going to have to fake it the whole night. You know what I mean? They're just going to have to act like everything's fine. <laughs> well, sure enough, she's put on her formal, and she's got one of these long zippers, you know, from the, the waist all the way to the neck. You know, one of the long jobber do's. 
she can't really get it all the way up. And she said, do you think you can help me with the zipper? Do you think you can do that much? <laughs> oh, baby. Old Ben says, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. He grabs that zipper, goes on up there, and gets up there, and he thinks, well, I'll have a little fun. So he goes, <laughs> And all of a sudden, it broke it. Oh. oh, baby. Oh, but he broke it. She said, you did not break my zipper. You know, they had to be there in about 15 minutes. He said, I'll fix it. So we got some pliers, couldn't fix it. They had to pin it. She had to put a shawl on in June. You know what I mean? And so she said, I'm so embarrassed. I've never been so embarrassed. She didn't have another form. She said, I have to wear this. I have to wear a shawl my grandmother made. He said, well, you look good, baby. She said, oh. They get in the car. They get there. As soon as they get there, you know, they see people. Hey, 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 hey great. Doesn't she look great? Doesn't she look great? Oh, yeah, Connie, your shawl is really nice. <laughs> she went, oh, my grandmother made it for me. And I knew it'd be cold tonight up here. It's always so cold, you know, and I just thought I'd wear it to stay warm. And they went, yeah, great. Wish I had one. <laughs> but anyhow, you know how. So they went through that whole evening and they got in the car to go home. She says, I have never been so humiliated and embarrassed my whole life. And he said, honey, everybody said you look great. They were lying. They were just being Christian. <laughs> they get home. They go to bed. They don't pass go. They don't collect $200. I mean, they, don't, you know, they just go to bed. She sleeps on her side. He sleeps on his side, as you, if you can understand what I'm trying to say. Next morning, she gets up ahead of him, gets all dressed, fixed up. She sort of wakes him. He said, hey, what are, you, what are you doing, Connie? She said, Bench, I'm going shopping. I'm going to buy me two formals. I'm going to charge him with a credit card. I don't care what Larry Burkett says. Do you know? <laughs> Woo-hoo, baby, yeah. So all of a sudden... He said, go ahead, go ahead, be a bad steward if you want to be a bad steward, go ahead. So she hooks him. She comes back that Saturday afternoon about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. She pulls up, and there's old Binge underneath his car working, working his heart out, doing something, changing oil or something. She gets out and carries all these bags, you know. She goes up by him and stands there, and, and he, about this much of his body is showing, you know, the rest underneath the car. She just looks down there and sees his zipper. And she just sort of tempted, and she goes, oh. Puts stuff down, reaches down, and goes, there. Picks her stuff up, walks inside, puts her stuff on the kitchen table, goes back into the den, and there's Benji watching television. She loses it. She goes, said, Connie, I'm sorry about the dress. I'm sorry about it. She said, I don't care about the dress. Who is underneath our car? He said, oh, Bubba from next door. He changed all in his car. He said, while he was at it, he changed all in ours. She went, oh. He said, what's the matter? What's the matter? She told him what she did. He said, you did not. You did not. I went, I went out there. I didn't know. I thought it was you. I just grabbed this paper and I said, She looked at him. She said, you, you go out there and you do something to fix it. She said, if you, if you don't, and you better not let him know it was me. 
if, if you let him know, if you, I mean, if you, if you let him know it was me, you will not be singing, what a fellowship, what a joy, divine. You understand? He, 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 he understood her language there. And Benji goes out there. Bubba's still underneath the car. He said, hey, Bubba, come on out. I need to talk to you. Bubba does not move. He squats down there and looks underneath there. Bubba is out cold. He pulls Bubba out, slaps him on the cheek, said, Bubba, Bubba, Bubba. Bubba goes, Bench, I was putting the last twist on your oil filter. Some woman came and grabbed my zipper, started zipping on my zipper and said, I tried to look up, see who it was, must have hit my head on the manifold. <laughs> Benji said, I've heard about her. She lives way down the street. She lives way down the street. Yeah. How many of you guys would say that the couple learned the hard way, uh, retaliation is not the way to go? Okay. And that's kind of a funny one, but folks, how many times have we been in predicaments like that because we, we did the same thing? Maybe it wasn't a zipper, but it was something else, okay? But God says don't do it. It's not just a sin. Listen, we are not to do Christian an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We don't retaliate. We don't repay evil for an evil. We don't do that. Why? Because it creates a horrible cycle. As you just saw, this one's humorous, but sometimes they're not that funny, are they? When we offend, the other person defends. And so begins that vicious cycle that never ends. And it ends up into a bubba. Don't go there. Okay. The fourth way that we avoid marital isolation is refusing to always be right. Right? Good answer. You didn't say a word. Okay. But anyway, here's how this one works, folks. Even when we finally get around to admit that life, we're going to have troubles. It's going to be a part of your marriage. You're not delaying in dealing with your problems anymore. Okay. And you're not retaliating. Praise God. You can still experience isolation if you're one of those people that you are always right. Now, hopefully this isn't too big of a, 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 a surprise to you guys, but did you realize that a person, I don't care who you are, with all due respect, a person who always has to be right is a person who's always full of pride. Because <laughs> folks, you're not always going to be right. I don't care how smart you think you are. I don't care how intelligent you are. Listen, you're, there's always somebody who's going to be much more intelligent than you. And you might have to find that out the hard way. Like this guy, check this out. One day some relatives were gathered in a hospital waiting room and their family member was laying there gravely ill, Bill. And, and finally the doctor came in. He's looking tired and somber and he surveyed their worried faces there and he says, I, I'm afraid I'm the bearer of bad news. Uh, 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 the, the only hope left for your loved one at this time is a brain transplant. Now, it's a very uh, expert, uh, experimental procedure. It's semi-risky. And in fact, you're gonna have to pay for the brain yourself. Well, this, the, the family member sat silently they're trying to absorb this news and after a length of time one of them asked well, well how much does a brain cost well uh the doctor simply responded he says five thousand dollars for a male brain 200 bucks for a female brain <laughs> so you know obviously the, like now the moment turned awkward and the men in the room they're smiling smirking a little trying not to make eye contact with the ladies but uh, one of them apparently uh, I don't think his name was Joe but uh, one of uh, he, he just he, he blurted out the question that everybody you know wanted to know you know so he says so hey doc uh, um, why is the male brain why does it cost so much more than the female brain and the doctor said well you know it's just standard pricing procedure you see we have to mark down the price of the female brains because they've actually been used <laughs> this has been a rough week for me man because I I've just you know I it's just been hard. Okay. But uh, that guy had to learn the hard way uh, that uh, we're not the smartest ones after all. Okay. 
And this is the problem, folks. Unless you and I can admit that we don't know it all and that, yes, guess what? Yes, even you are going to be wrong sometimes. Listen, the Bible says you're not revealing your intelligence. The Bible actually says you're revealing your ignorance. I didn't say that. God did. Listen to this. This is a great passage of Scripture. It's stinging words. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. To learn, you know, you've got to admit that you're wrong once in a while. Uh, you must love discipline. But flip it around. It is what? Stupid to hate correction. Or in other words, to admit that you don't know everything and you're going to make a mistake too. Rather than being far superior and intelligent, you're actually being ignorant, the scripture says, when you're one of those folks. And unless you're God and you're not, you're not always going to be right. And you have to admit that you're going to make a mistake just like everybody else. Okay? And people, this is not just an arrogant attitude and it will not only destroy you personally, it will destroy you marriagely because there's nothing worse than finally getting around to coming about reconciling and yes, the one person's owning up on what they blew it and they need to reconcile with. The other person's got something too, but they refuse to do it. How can you ever reconcile? You just wasted all your time, all that communication, everything, all up to this point. If the other person can't refuse or it cannot acknowledge their part in the matter. How are you ever going to reconcile? The fifth and final way, this is the big one, folks, is this. You have got to refuse to hold back forgiveness. Don't play that game. Do not play that game. Especially as a Christian, we know better than that. Okay? Here's how this one works. We can finally get around to admitting that life is going to have troubles. We're not delaying and dealing with our problems. We're not retaliating. We will admit when we did something wrong. We're not always right. You're still going to have marital isolation if you hold back forgiveness. Nobody's played that game, have we? The old silent treatment for three days. Somebody comes up to you and says, would, would you please forgive me? No. Whoa. Folks, I'm telling you, we could have everything else right that we talked about today. We could have our hands on this invisible wall. We're starting to peel off these bricks one at a time. We're making headway. But if you don't do this, you just put that whole wall back up just like that. This is absolutely amazing. That wall is never going to come down, folks. This is the power and the need of forgiveness, okay? And see, the problem is most of us think that, oh, yeah, we know what it's like to forgive. You know, we, we know that. Like, for instance, one lady said this. She said, people are always asking couples, whose marriages have endured for at least a quarter of a century, for their secret, for their success. And she said, actually, it's no secret at all. She says, I'm a very forgiving woman. Long ago, I forgave my husband for not being Brad Pitt. No, I, I think it's a little bit more than that, lady, with all due respect, okay? It might be a good starting point, but there's more to it than that. In fact, fortunately, we don't have to guess, folks. It's a lot more than that. The Bible tells us exactly the level of forgiveness we need to grant one another. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. The Bible says this, be kind and what? Compassionate to one another. Well, how? How? If I only knew how I could be kind. Well, keep reading. It says this, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you, us, me. Folks, think about what this passage is saying here. This is, this is the scripture. This is the Bible. I'm not making this up. Listen, the Bible says, first of all, let's put it in this context. How many of you guys are glad that God has forgiven you of all, all your sins? And that's no strings attached. No, most of your sins. Okay, up until the point you get saved, the rest of them you're on your own. Hopefully you don't blow it. Are you glad that it's all? Praise God for that, okay? And are you glad that he forgives every single one of them every single time? That's the level of forgiveness the scripture says we are to grant to one another. 
Certainly in the context there in the church, Christians, but how much more your spouse? But again, just like with the other points, forgiving somebody who's really deeply hurt us is a lot easier said than done, isn't it? But if we're grateful for what Jesus has done, then we do it. And the point is this, folks. Unless we do, in general, in life, with your relationships or your relationship in your marriage, if you don't, you will never get rid of your problems. You'll never get rid of that wall. Listen, you'll actually become the one who's created your own prison. Corey Tin Boom, she learned this when she was over in Germany. She was in uh, concentration camps as a Christian. And uh, she was over there speaking again on, guess what, of all topics, the message of forgiveness. Okay, when she went back to Germany after World War II, and she lost a lot of her family and friends and, and relatives that were killed and they were murdered by the Nazis. Okay, she goes back over there and uh, she says this. She said, years after her concentration camp experiences in Nazi Germany, she met face to face. It was right after she got done speaking on forgiveness in Germany. Because she was convinced that that's what they needed to hear, that God is willing to forgive even them for what they did. She's done speaking, and right, and when she's done, guess who's coming down the aisle? True story. Guess who's coming down the aisle towards her when she's preaching on forgiveness? The, the most cruel and heartless German guard that she had ever been in contact with in the concentration camps. He had humiliated her and degraded her and her sister. He had jeered and visually raped him as they stood in the delousing shower. And now here he stood after she preached that with his hand outstretched. He came up to her and says, will you forgive me for all I'm? She said, I stood there with coldness clutching at my heart as a Christian. And I prayed, Jesus, help me. She said, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me and I experienced, she said, an incredible thing. She said, the current actually started in my shoulder and then it raced down into my uh, arm and, and sprang into our clutched hands. And, and then, listen, she said, this warm reconciliation seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. And she said, I cried with my whole heart. I forgive you, brother. She said, for a long moment, listen, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. Listen to what she says. She said, I have never known the love of God so intensely as I did at that moment. And here's her statement. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. Wow. Folks, it's bad enough when we got this wall of separation between us as spouses. But unless we take the scripture seriously and we forgive each other just like God has forgiven us, that wall is never coming down. Listen, it doesn't just destroy your marriage and create marital isolation. You, not the other person, you became the biggest prisoner of all because you refused to forgive. And one last thing, I want to school you on getting specific because we go, okay, I, I, got, I got to ask for forgiveness. You got me, Pastor Billy. We can still blow it. And I'm going I'm to do what's called sealing the deal. Turn to somebody and say, seal the deal, will you? Seal the deal, okay? We're gonna, I'm going to teach you how to seal the deal. You do this, and I don't care that, that stickiness, that ickiness, that barb, I don't care how long it's been there, comes right out. If you will seal the deal. And here's what you do when you ask for forgiveness. First of all, forgiveness is not going up to the other person and going, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry, that doesn't work. Okay, and it's, you certainly don't go like this. Well, I'm sorry you took it that way. <laughs> yeah, that fixes it. 
Okay? Listen, and it's not even saying this. You need to forgive me. What's that? You're giving an order. Okay? You're the one that did something wrong. You need to humble yourself and do that. And it's not even saying this. Will you forgive me? Ah, it's getting close. But if you really want to get rid of that barber that's in your heart, if you want to really knock down that wall, if you want to bust out of the prison that you created yourself in, you got to seal the deal. You got to say this. Listen, will you please forgive me? And then spell out the specific deed. Let me say that again. This is it. Will you please forgive me? And then fill in the blank with exactly what it is you did and you're asking forgiveness for. Now, here's the whole point. And that might sound like, well, that's common sense, but we don't do that. And because we don't do that, it never gets sealed. It never gets done. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Doesn't cut it. But when you sit there truly from your heart in a humble attitude and you look in the other person's face and you say, would you please forgive me for such and such? Bang, it's gone, isn't it? Why? Because if we're honest with ourselves, that's exactly what we want to hear. We want them to own up to their behavior. No guessing, no assuming that they know it's complete humility saying, will you please forgive me for such and such and such. It's done. Folks, this is the awesome news. This is the power of reconciliation. And until we get down to that level of forgiveness and seal the deal like that, we're never going to reconcile, which means to come back together again in love and friendship. We have to refuse to give in to false expectations. We gotta stop delaying, stop retaliating, stop always having to be right. And whatever you do, don't hold back forgiveness. It is the height of hypocrisy to be grateful for what God has done for us and forgive us of everything we've ever done or ever will do and yet withhold it from another person. Christian, that's hypocritical. Don't ever do that. And when you do make a mistake, Christ will give you the power to be grateful enough to extend it to somebody else. Jesus on the cross when he was being murdered said, Father, will you forgive them? They don't even know what they're doing. That's the kind of love we need to have in our marriages that will shred apart that wall, bust out that prison, create a level of intimacy that maybe you haven't had in a long time. And dare I say, if we get busy loving like that, we'll have to build a second story on this sanctuary for all the new people coming. Because when you demonstrate that kind of love to the lost, they come flocking to Jesus. Let's be those kind of people, not just for our marriages, but for this church. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. 
It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. E for instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins.
That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you for your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.